0: Okay, well, good evening and welcome to another episode of Take The Two. Now, obviously, this is round 20. It's the last round of the COVID-interrupted season. And, look, I know we're expecting some team list changes, Tom, but, my goodness, this is carnage this week. Yeah, absolutely ridiculous, some of the team lists that have been put out today. uh, Some squad's completely
1: unrecognisable from where they were last week. And, you know, even just looking back a few weeks before all the injuries and the restings and all that started to really ramp up as, uh, we move towards the finals, but we've got a really uh, exciting week of footy coming up this week, and a really important week for a number of teams. Obviously, the top eight is still set, but uh, teams that we wanted to build build some momentum. Teams in the bottom eight are giving us a little bit of a glimpse into the future. And for uh, the pundits, we've got a tipping comps, super coach, and uh, plenty of multis going on this weekend to to keep us all involved.
0: Always all involved, but we'll get right into it. Obviously, on Thursday night we have, I guess, one of these games that people call dead rubbers. You know, we have the Broncos and the Cowboys. Both did lose last week. The Cowboys probably, I guess they weren't bad, but they just couldn't compete at Penrith's level and it was really only in the last 20 minutes that they, I guess, started to find their mojo a bit, Tom. Then you look at Brisbane. I think it's Brisbane's just a case of they don't have the personnel to really be as consistent as they need to be. And, you know, for those reasons alone, it's probably contributed to losses for both last week. But the surprise, I guess, with the Broncos this week is Katoni Stagg is going to be playing a 5 8 now. I don't know if he's played any 5 8 in the past, but it's a bit of an interesting move. I mean, I guess if, if it eventuates, you never know with team changes. Even moving forward, is do you see this as just a one off?
1: Yeah, it's it'll be interesting to see how it, uh, how it sort of develops moving forward. I'll probably see Staggs moving back to the centres where he's been so good this year. I was pretty interested last week to see how Tyson Gamble went in that sixth role, but that lasted all of one tackle when he was knocked out, and he's obviously uh, suffering some effects from the concussion this week, so he'll miss out. It'd be interesting to see how it all uh, works with Stags at 5'8". Obviously, they've got Tom Dearden running the other side of the field, and he- he's been solid since uh, his return. The Broncos, they've got Milford hanging in and around the squad. Whether he'll play a role next year is sort of yet to be seen, but uh, I guess for Tony Staggs, it's, it's his chance to show the new coaches that he can play, you know, a really multifaceted role in that side next year, and uh, that's only going to add value to, to him, and obviously, you know, thinking about his uh, future contract prospects
0: moving forward. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, obviously there's, you never know what a new coach is going to do, but I think it's interesting, you yeah, when, when they've got a guy like Corey Pay, who you know, has played a bit of, a bit in the halves coming through the ranks, and obviously he's been playing mostly hooker coming on for Luke, so I wonder whether, you know, if it doesn't go that well for Stags, if they just decide to, I guess, take Arthur's or Coates off and, you know, get stags back in the back line. But it's an interesting move, obviously. You know, you never know how it's going to go, but it could be a point of difference in attack with the Broncos in many ways. And I guess it, it's a tough one to pick in the end, isn't it, Tom, given that both sides probably, for different reasons, haven't been at their best at all since the, since the resumption.
1: Yeah, definitely. And you think back to that very uh, first game, I think it was the second game of the season uh, up there in Townsville, the opening of the new stadium, and we, you know, we were thinking that the Broncos at that stage they were a real premiership contender, and the Cowboys were looking really uh, red hot that night as well. And we were after that game, we were maybe thinking, you know, with Esan Masters moving up there, Valentine Holmes, then perhaps they were going to be a real uh, top eight threat this year. But hasn't worked out for either side, obviously, and plenty's been said about uh, both teams. And I think I think you're right; it's really tough to predict. I I went towards the Broncos just with that addition of. Uh, Payne Haas back into the squad. I think Katoni Stags adds a lot uh, to their, you know, attacking prospects as well. And I, I just don't know if the Cowboys will have the points to, you know, stick it with the Broncos. But, yeah, as they've proven time and time again, you know, the Broncos are, are far from a defensive powerhouse in
0: 2020. You can say that again. Well, look, we go to first game on Friday. Quite an interesting one, Tom. Obviously, Gold Coast Titans and Newcastle Knights. they certainly both know how to score points, as we saw last week, with comfortable wins. We have a good battle, battle of the fullbacks with Brimson and Ponga, who are both. I guess Brimson probably since he's come back has been the more consistent, but the last few weeks, Ponga. Oh, apart from when he was rested last week, the the last well four to five weeks he's certainly shown why people think he's an elite fullback as well. And yeah, I mean this should be a pretty exciting clash. Obviously Bradman Best is back for Newcastle as well, and probably good timing with the with the finals looming. That you know gives him some some juice in the legs before before final starts. Where do you see this one going, Tom? I mean, obviously, I guess both sides kind of do have a few defensive lapses in them still, but I, I would say we should expect a fair few points in this one.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think we've got a really good matchup, as you said, not only in the fullbacks, but as well in the centres. We've got and Best returning, which is great news for Newcastle as they move towards their finals campaign. He looked really dangerous in his time there on the left, linking up with Caelan Ponga and Hyal Hutton. Uh, on the other side, we get Brian Kelly back, and we've seen on a couple of occasions this year what he can do, just making defenders look silly at times uh, with, uh, with some of the uh, slick moves he's been putting on down that left-hand side of the field. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it falls, but obviously a lot will depend on uh, the forward pack. If uh, guys like Mo Fodawaka, Jared Wallace, and Jairo can hold up David Klemmer and Daniel Saifidi, then you know it really gives a chance for um, some of their young guys to to come in there and cause some damage uh, out wide. And a key guy for the Titans is probably going to be Tyrone Peachy matching up against Mitch Barnett, who's been really consistent over the last few weeks. If he can hold his own in that lock position, then that'll really open up a number of uh, attacking avenues for them, uh, especially as the game progresses.
0: Yeah, exactly right. I mean, obviously, you know, Peachy is certainly not your conventional lock. Obviously, he's a lot smaller, but I guess probably has more ball-playing ability than, than the majority of locks in the game. given his you know, being used to playing centre and 5'8", and he's certainly no stranger to taking the line on and, I guess, making life as difficult as he can for the opposition. But I think for the Knights, I and mean, I think a guy, I mean, and this obviously, aside from when he was injured for a few weeks not too long ago, but I think a guy that has been probably better than most of us expected coming into this year and maybe even potentially the most improved player across the competition is Daniel Saifiti. I mean, you know, there was a time when, Knights fans were saying the Safidi brothers need to go. The you know, there's no forward momentum, they're not not getting the meters that you would expect from from your prop rotation, and particularly from Daniel, who was always starting. And they, they pretty much just wanted him out. But this year, Tom, I mean, whether it's the influence of of Adam O'Brien or whether it's been a I guess a personal thing for him to, you know, just knuckle down, he has been an absolute revelation. It's probably look in the top ten props in the game, just in terms of his consistency at the moment?
1: Oh, yeah, I have no doubt that he'd be uh, up there in the top 10 props of the game. You know, I think he'll be uh, right in. Brad Fitt was uh, thinking for that origin side, obviously, representing uh, New South Wales in two of the games last year. And, you know, he's got that offload out, big, strong power runner, and he just plays the perfect, uh, you know, foil role to uh, David Clemmer there, that, that nice one two punch, and that really allows guys like Kevin Ponga to get in there around the ruck. And, you know, cause some real damage through the middle of the field, and also, and they also get them in the uh, in the attacking areas that they can really cause
0: um, that damage out wide. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, when you have a one-two punch like Fleming and Safidi, that's only going to do wonders for you. Go forward. I guess with the Titans, some obviously we know the Titans kind of make the finals now, but they've they've got four, they've won four on the trot. They're looking good. Sort of. What do you think Holbrook will want to get out of this game for for his club as they as they look forward to twenty twenty one?
1: Yeah, I think it's probably similar to what we're going to see from a lot of the teams who are um, not going to be able to make the top eight this weekend. And I think that's just looking for little combinations for next season. I think that perhaps some of the team lists that we see from those bottom eight sides are going to closely resemble what we might uh, see from them in, in 2021. And, you know, one side is Corey Thompson being dropped for Tremaine Spry. Spry had a pretty good game on that on the weekend last week against Manly and, you know, nabbed that intercept and almost around the length. And if he can uh, really nail down that, that wing spot, then that gives them just a, a, another great uh, player they can rely on for the next season, especially as those new arrivals start to uh, come through for the Titans.
0: Yeah, the, the Titans have been interesting times to watch next year, you know, as, as we've certainly touched on in the past. Our second game on Friday, obviously, two old rivals going way back when to you know, the inception of of Rugby League in Australia in terms of a national competition, or a, a competition, that obviously we're talking about the Bunnies and the Roosters. This is, uh, obviously, the Roosters do welcome back Tedesco, Friend, Cordner and Takayaho, which are four incredible players that you can just bring back into your side on a whim after giving them a week off just to rest on. As I guess as as much promise as the Bunnies have shown the last few weeks, or the last six weeks even, particularly with no Latron Mitchell as well, it's just, it, it is really hard to see this going anyway but the Roosters. I mean, obviously, not comprehensively, but certainly... Just with the firepower that the Roosters have and the combinations that they've got, you'd probably have to be a brave man to say that the Bunnies will win this one.
1: Yeah, definitely. And you know, I think last week just proved you know what an incredible outfit this Rooster side is and how hard they're gonna beat come October. And I think that you know, last week they had James Tedesco out, uh, you know, a number of key guys and the Fords not playing, and they were still able to just absolutely roll over the sharks. You know, Brett Morris really stood up. I thought, Joey Manu had a really dominant game. He's out this week for them. But, you know, you get Josh Morris and Mitch Orbison in the centres instead. And, you know, uh, obviously it was great to see Mitch Orbison break that record last week and uh, now double as well. I think that they're just building beautifully into this uh, finals period. And, you know, it's what we've come to expect year after year
0: from the Roosters. Yeah, I mean, I guess when you've got a juggernaut of the side and, you know, I mean, look, obviously if they were to go on and win, they'd be the first team to go, three in a row since the eels of the 80s i mean and you know it's very rare these days that in any sport really that you see a team win three titles in a row or premierships as we call them in rugby the league obviously but yeah look it's an interesting interesting one for the bunnies i mean obviously their position is set in the eight tom i guess what do you think they need to do if they are to have any chance of beating this rooster side on on, on friday night
1: yeah typically we see from you know real premiership-leading contenders, their campaigns are typically built around defence. And for the Roosters side, it's probably not being built around defence in uh, 2020, but instead through that real potent um, attacking backline. And I think, you know, if Souths are going to have any chance this weekend and moving forward into the finals, I know I heard Paul Kent say uh, on Triple M over the weekend that he thinks that the team that beats the Roosters will be the team that wins the comp. And I tend to agree with him because that Roosters attack is going to take, you know, a hell of a defence to... To stop and if the Ramblers can do that this week, you know that'll be a real uh, mental, a mental victory for them moving forward into the finals, knowing that they can really shut down the Roosters and Penrith and uh, Melbourne moving forward. But you know if they let it be a blowout, then there'll be real questions over uh, their their ability to to uh, make some
0: inroads come come late October. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, obviously, it's probably as as much as they are criticised for, you know. No, no fans and fans do travel and ask the Roosters and you know obviously we know all the stuff that is said about them pretty much any neutral fan if you're introducing them to like rugby really you're going to get them to watch a Roosters game just to see how how fluid their attack is and just to see how everything is in sync and you know the forwards linking up either with each other or you know when you see Takayaho even at first or second receiver occasionally just you know shifting it left or right and automatically makes makes a gap or space for Kiri or Tedesco to run into. I mean, they are quite literally probably the best side we've seen in the last 10 years, give or take, just in terms of the all-round ability across the park.
1: Oh, 100%. This weekend, I'll be really um, interested to see how Angus Crichton goes in that 13 jersey, whether he stays there or perhaps there's a bit of a late change. We know Boyd Corden had his issues with concussion over the last few weeks. And Sonny Bill's really uh, you know, having a, a quite a large impact off the bench. But if, uh, if they can really nail down Crichton in that 13 role, he could be a real, uh, you know, live wire moving forward in the finals. And I think we'll probably see him play a very similar role to the Rabbitohs' number 13, Cam Murray. You know, that real uh, mobile uh, mobile forward who can really just get in there, get those quick play the balls and really allow James Tedesco and Luke Curie to get to work and, uh, you know, exploit some gaps in the defence, uh, the retreating defensive
0: line. Yeah, it should definitely been an interesting one. I think, I think an underrated key for Souths is Campbell Graham. I mean, I, I think we've touched on him in the past, and you know, I guess now he's getting a few more wraps given his form. I mean, in his last, he's got 11 tries for the season, uh, what, eight of which have come in the last five games, and then includes three doubles. So, you know, it's certainly, certainly good signs when you've got a centre that is, you know, both playing and scoring prolifically, or you know, in a prolific fashion, and. I guess it doesn't get any tougher than Josh Morris, Tom, who, despite his age, is still an elite defender in this game.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think we saw it uh, on the weekend. It might, it might have actually been Brett Morris, but you, know, you, you think of them often as the package deal, because they both bring such similar things in their defensive attitude and uh, their defensive work rate and acumen. And um, we, we saw one of the uh, Sharks players making a, a pretty long break. It might have been Sione Katoa through the middle of the field, and uh, he ended up getting chased down, but Brett Morris makes a tackle on the on the left-hand side of the field, and then yeah, next play sharks shift all the way uh, back out to the right. And who do you know uh, who's making the tackle? It's uh, Brett Morris there again. And you know we've seen it time and time again, whether it be that famous play in State of Origin where Josh Morris gets off the ground with the the knee injury to to chase down uh, the the Maroons player who uh, was streaking away, or um, you know in their time for the Bulldogs, or now at the Roosters. I think that. Josh and Brett Morris were just, you know, the perfect pickups for that side as they look they to uh, push towards their third premiership.
0: Exactly right. Certainly some ominous signs, unless a team can stop the Roosters, which is not a very easy thing to do. Well, look, our first game on Saturday, we have the Bulldogs and the Panthers. I guess in this one, Tom, people are probably surprised that the Panthers, I mean, obviously Kikau, Edwards and Stephen Crichton are being rested for this game, but I guess it's a surprise to some that the likes of Luwai and Cleary aren't being rested, given that the minor premiership is all is is essentially locked up. There's no way in the world that they can lose that, and they're coming up against the Bulldogs side that, you know, we've touched on it before. It's they just they can't they can't score. I guess their defense is is good when it needs to be, but it's not good often enough. Are you expecting any more changes to this side? Obviously, Matt Burton is on the bench. Do you think Ivan Cleary just you know 24 hours before kick off or even before kick off it just says says to Nathan, look, mate have a rest, Burton goes in and another forward comes onto the bench or do you see Cleary playing?
1: Yeah, it's definitely a possibility. I probably actually see Cleary playing this or at least a large portion of the game whether we might see, you know, Luai and Cleary play the first 30 and then for, you know, the next 25 minutes Burton comes on and spells Cleary and then Cleary and Luai swap uh, depending on how the match is going. But uh, I think this is probably a move that's come out of a newer school of thinking surrounding Yeah, the the benefits and the costs of resting players later in the season. I think that we're really seeing teams value momentum now more than ever. Obviously, this year is quite different to any other with no buyers and no origin break in the middle of the season. But we've seen Nathan Query, you know, last year. His body uh, really survived a full 25-round season with three rounds of origin in the middle of the season. And, you know, I think... Ivan Cleary would be really keen to to keep that momentum going and keep the role, what is it now 15, 16 game winning streak um, rolling because a loss now to a team like the Bulldogs could really hurt them moving forward and, and put a big dent in their confidence you know, moving into the final series.
0: Yeah, I mean that's I guess that's the pros and cons of a coach that he, you know sets a way up. But yeah, I mean look, this game I think whether it would, whether it was round four or round 20, or you know round twenty like it is this week I think. And, if, and anything but a Penrith win will shock the system. And would I'd be surprised if it's not twenty plus, Tom, just you know, given that pretty much most of Penrith's high power is still there and you know, the Bulldogs are obviously a side that are down on confidence and you know it, it's it's just really hard to see them, I guess, getting up for this game in the fashion that they need to to cause an upset.
1: Oh yeah, of course, but at the same time, you know, we had a conversation before the South Bulldogs game last week that you know yeah, didn't make did. it onto the podcast, but we uh, we discussed how you know the Bulldogs had virtually zero chance of getting up, and then what do you know they're up you know twelve sixteen nil uh, during that first half.
0: I know who would have thought that would happen, but it did, and I guess you know you never know in rugby league that's for sure. And look, a game at five thirty, the second game on Super Saturday is going to be a strange one. I mean, obviously. You look at the Sharks, they have no Sean Johnson, who is their absolute, or was their focal point in attack, you know, something like 23, 24 try assists, leading the comp, certainly playing probably his best year in, you know, two years or so, give or take, does his Achilles, and then now they've got Wade Graham in the halves alongside Connor Tracy, Tom, but you look at this game, I mean, if the Sharks lose this against a, a Raiders side that is pretty essentially unrecognisable outside of you know, what, Kotrick, Haruga and Ira, and I guess to a lesser extent the likes of, you know, Louis Starling and Solidola. I mean, that would pretty much be almost the death knell for their for any win in the finals for them.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's like
0: all hope seemed
1: lost for the Sharks, and then the Raiders roll out this squad, and it's almost like Ricky Stewart's just gifting them one last chance to, you know, get a win and build a little bit of momentum moving into next week. It's funny, we'll probably see the Sharks and the Raiders play each other two rounds in a row. Um, with the two sides set to, to match up next week as well in, in week one of the finals. And uh, you'd you have to think that the Raiders are going to roll out a vastly different lineup uh, next week down at GIO Stadium.
0: But, yeah, look, I mean, there's, there's, obviously there's a couple of debutants for the Raiders as well in this one. I mean, Adam Cook, who, look, I'll be honest, I've I've kept tabs on the majority of Raiders players, but he's come out of left field for me. I mean, I, can't, I don't know too much about him, obviously. We saw Harley Smith Shields for a game earlier this year. Darby Medlin and Jarrett Sablu are going to make their debuts as well. So, yeah, I mean, this is a game that you just have to—you would have to think that the Sharks are going to win it because if they don't, I mean, I don't think. I think in all of the, you know, all of the baby sides that we've seen, you know, that the whenever a side is very young, they call it, you know, the like the baby Broncos in the past or whoever it is. To lose against a side that. I guess, is as inexperienced as this one is and given the the number of debutants that are playing, I mean, it would not be a good look for the Sharks and certainly they may even get booed out of uh, Net Strider Jubilee Stadium if they can't get the win, Tom. Yeah, maybe it's
1: lucky they're not playing this one down at Shark Park, but I think while all the attention has been on Sean Johnson uh, out and, you know, rightfully so, he's played such a critical role in that side and, you know, as soon as he went down, pretty much... Or their finals hopes, you know, according to most people, went down the drain. But uh, a huge in for this week is Wade Graham. He's going to be playing the sixth role. Probably won't play too differently uh, at 5'8 to how he plays on that left edge. But just you know, his control, his experience will be so important for this relatively young Sharks side. And you know, he can really mentor some of the guys like Britton Nakora, uh, Talakai and Rudolph
0: who haven't had a lot
1: of finals experience in the past.
0: Yeah, look, I mean, I guess it's a great addition when you can get a player like Wade Graham back, who is obviously so versatile, and, you know, we know what what we know what he can do in the back row with his kicking game, but I guess just to put it in some perspective, I mean, overall, the last game that he started at 5'8 was back in round four in 2015. So it's been, what, five, five and a half years, essentially, since he started the game there. So... I guess whilst it is similar in a way for him because his game, you know, his, his style won't differ too much. I mean, obviously, it's it's a long time between drinks, as they say.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, while the role is similar, obviously, the two positions do have vastly different responsibilities. A lot of, uh, you know, the kicking game is now going to fall onto Connor Tracy. So it'd be interesting to see how he steps up and handles the pressure. And, you know, if this season is now being treated as a bit of a write off um, by most Sharks fans, then. Uh, it'll be really interesting to see how um, Connor Tracy handles this game as a bit of a, you know, a bit of a, yeah, a rehearsal for next season as, you know, a lot of Sharks fans are starting to uh, fall out of favour with Chad Townsend.
0: You can say that again. I mean, obviously, we've all already seen Sharks fans trying to, you know, palm Townsend off to the dogs who need a half desperately, but who knows what's going to happen there. But, yeah, look, I mean, I guess this is a game that it's pretty much the Sharks need to win, it, and if they don't, then... You know who knows <laughs> who knows what will happen to them and, and and come finals, but it won't be pretty. Well, look, at our final game on Saturday we have the West Tigers and the Eels. Now, obviously, I guess heading into this game, people were probably expecting that the Raiders in fifth place were going to name a full a full strength side or as close to full strength as possible to to put pressure on the Eels who are in fourth. Obviously, the Raiders for and against is slightly better at this stage. So had they won, they would have jumped above the Eels. Obviously, that's not the case. The Eels have gone full strength, however. I guess we know the Tigers can't make the finals, Tom, but sort of as for you as a Tigers fan, I guess what do you want to see in this game moving forward? And, you know, I guess we've, we've, like we've seen Joey Leilua is dropped. He's at the end. I mean, I, I guess it's only been a season. I think he's got, what, two or three years at least with the club. Is this almost the end for Leilua in a way? I mean, obviously, his defense has never been great, and that's why he's dropped. and we know Maguire places such a huge emphasis on defence. Can you see him getting back into the side in, in 2021?
1: Yeah, I can, to be honest. I think that he's still got a lot of good footy left in him. Obviously, we've seen glimpses of that this year. Some of the players put on, you know, maybe hasn't got the results, but it's been pretty spectacular to watch, and his combination with Dave Knopfler-Wim has been, um, been pretty fun to keep, uh, keep tabs on as a Tigers supporter, but I guess this week what I'm, you know, really looking for is an inspired performance. We've got Benji Marshall captaining the squad, playing his last game for the club. Absolute club legend there. Chris Warren's good to see him get a starting run in the centres. He's been solid defensively over the last few weeks. Uh, His last game in the NRL. And then also uh, a little bit of an underrated one, but Elijah Taylor off the bench. You know, he's played nearly 100 games for the Tigers, I believe. And uh, he's been a great serviceman for the club over the last few years. And what's been a real, you know, trying time. But... um, He's been able to you know, come in there and and buy into a number of different club cultures, and I think that you know his repeated selections week in week out, whether it be in the starting squad or on the bench, is just an indication of um, what a reliable uh, you know team player he's been over the years.
0: Oh, look, exactly right. You know, obviously we know that Taylor's had stints at the Warriors and Penrith as well, and I guess has has probably been that underrated forward at times as gone through and. Certainly, you know, just goes out and does his job, whether it's five minutes or 60 minutes, and every team needs a guy like that. I mean, I guess I think this game is, you know, obviously for the Eels, it's crucial that they get some momentum leading into the finals. Obviously, they beat they did beat the Broncos last week. I think I think you touched on it last week, Tom, with the Eels. we were probably we sort of expected that for the first 15-20 minutes they'd sort of grind it out, and I guess just get a feel for the whatever the Broncos are going to bring to the table, and pretty much from then on, or at least for the next 30 to 40 minutes that, you know, the attack seemed to flow pretty well. I thought, personally, that the the two guys that really kick-started our attack were, number one, Junior Paulo coming off the bench. I mean, we know what he can do. He's been a revelation this season. But probably Mitch Moses as well, who looks like he's getting more confidence in running the ball once again, now that he's come out and said his carbs feel good. Obviously, there was a period of, what, three, four weeks after his return that he said they weren't 100%, but... As a fan, I guess, even to outsiders, if the Eels are going to have any chance this year, we need to see Moses run the football.
1: Oh, absolutely, especially without Dylan Brown there. Uh, yeah, I think I probably expected them to uh, take their attack down a notch once he left, and to an extent, I think we have seen that. But uh, it, you're right, Moses was back to uh, nearly his best last week. If he can just regain some of that confidence that we saw at the start of the year, I think that's when we really see him playing his you know, his flamboyant best. Uh, it's going to be a big game this week, I think, that as you said, Junior Paulo was tremendous last weekend alongside Campbell Gillard. And I think that, uh, you know, the Tigers are going to have a, a real tough task uh, keeping those two at bay, especially without Josh Allais, who's out injured uh, with a knee injury this week. And uh, I think with Allais there, I would have given the Tigers a big hope of, you know, maybe coming in and causing an upset. But without him, it's going to be um, pretty tough. But, you know, they'll be uh, fired up for Benji and uh, Chris Orange last game and it should be an interesting one. I think that uh, not. Not many clubs will be placing too much impetus in the uh, results of this week, but I think Parramatta will definitely be after a win uh, to really you know, keep that momentum going into week one of the finals, uh, and then more so into week two when they can get Dylan Brown back into that side.
0: Well, fingers crossed Dylan Brown can come back in you know, the first week, you never know. I mean, he's tracking along as he should, but I guess the question is if he comes back too early, he can get, you know, he can redo it and that season over, but... That's up to the medical stuff, But yeah, look, I think it'll be, I guess, traditionally, we haven't seen too many games in recent times where it's been a complete blowout, obviously, aside from that opening game at Bank West that, you know, is one that Tigers fans will want to forget, I'm sure, Tom. But I guess, aside from that clash, traditionally, these two have played out, you know, pretty hard-fought, sort of hard-fought physical contests, like we saw, obviously, you know, the, the battle between, well, not battle, the... I guess the contact between Bloor and, and Brown and sort of all the, you know, the hype that came out of that and, and, and then just the just that little sort of niggle stuff that you, that you expect to see in teams that are close rivals like these two.
1: Oh, of course. And, you know, for
0: that very reason, I think
1: that we'll have a really exciting game. The Tigers will definitely be up for it. And, um, you know, fingers crossed they can uh, put up a good fight. And, you know, I should have known you, here. you couldn't go one West Tigers-Eels match without
0: mentioning that 51-6 victory. Yeah. Not on purpose. i was I guess I was just obviously just trying to illustrate that aside from that one game traditionally, that the games are pretty close. Well, look, our first game on Sunday, we've got the Warriors and the seagulls. obviously again, another game that's not going to have any bearings on the bearing on the finals, but certainly a game where both sides still have a lot to prove. I guess looking at last week, Tom, if you take Cherry Evans out of that manly side, they're probably not going to, they probably wouldn't have scored any points at all. I mean, that was probably one of his best games of the season. and it's kind of telling. I mean, I know they've had lots of injuries and Tommy Turbo obviously had that, um, you know, the, the shoulder knock and all of that stuff. And I guess it maybe affected their flow or their game plan. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's been a tough year for Manly and without Cherry Evans, it would have been even tougher. Oh, absolutely. He's, you know, being the one shining light for them yet again this
1: season. But I think you raised an interesting point there about the injuries and, you know, while, you know, no team... Is going to, you know, thrive under conditions where they are constantly, you know, having players out uh, for whatever reason, and you know, and especially losing their star in Tom Trbojevic. I think the Manly side are a really interesting contrast to the Roosters. Last week we saw the Roosters take out James Tedesco. They've had guys like Victor Radley out injured. They've had Boyd Cordner battle uh, concussion issues. But you know, yet again, once those guys are out, the impetus just falls on other guys, and we see those guys step up. And, you know, we've seen that from Terry Evans 100%. But, you know, some of the other key guys that are in and around that squad really haven't, you know, brought it to the table this year. You know, looking at someone like Jake Trebojevic, absolute star of that side, you know, what a guy he's been for the last few years. But, you know, if you, if you have to describe his 2020 campaign in one word, it would be solid when they really needed him to be exceptional this year.
0: Yeah, look, I mean, it's, it, that's, that's, that's a good point to make, obviously, you know, when you do have your key players out or you rest them, you expect that those that come in to replace them are going to perform well. And it's been the story of Manly's season. Obviously, pardon me, a lot of uh, a lot of players haven't done that. And, you know, that's why we've seen so much chopping and changing. And, you know, I guess questions over the course of the year is uh, is that player was that player injured as such, or was he dropped, of course, because you can never know sometimes. But, look, I actually think outside of Cherry Evans, I think probably the guy that has really taking his game to another level, particularly with the suspensions that Adam Fanua Blake has had and the niggles. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him start next season as well as Taniela Paseka. I mean, he scored that, that, you know, typical forwards try on the weekend where you just sort of bust through the line and make it look all too easy. But I think that's probably a sign that he's ready to take on that that full-time responsibility and up his minutes and up his game. And obviously they are going to need a... Another enforcer like that with Fanua Blake le- confirmed to be leaving now. So I guess if Manly can sort of focus on these very, very small positives and maybe rejig their side a bit, who knows what happened in 2021?
1: Yeah, definitely. It'll be interesting to see what happens in that back line. Obviously, we've got Jason Saab coming in and Ruben Garrick going out. So whether that's a straight swap or we might see them you know, change up the sides or mix up the positions, yet to be seen.
0: Exactly. Look, I guess on the Warriors briefly, Tom, obviously, we know that everything that they've been through and to come so close is still a testament to I guess the the fight and the determination that they've had in the within them to, you know, put everything aside and just play football. Obviously RTS is out. We know that, you know, the poor guy hasn't seen his family in six months or whatever it is. And, you know, the way he's been able to play is is a testament to him as well. But look, they're probably I, I say they don't lose much. I guess that's not saying that RTS is by any means, you know, a big loss, because he is, but when you can have a guy like Petahic, just slot in, the, slot in at the back, who has played plenty of fullback across the NRL and the Super League, Tom, that's always a good thing for a club.
1: Oh, 100%. And, you know, along with a guy like Toru Harris, I think hiku has been one of their best this year, uh, aside from RTS, and he really played a, a pivotal role in a number of those games as they made that uh, final push, which obviously uh, was ended a couple of weeks ago, but I remember back to the game against the Tigers where he just absolutely dominated down that left edge uh, attacking and he, you know, his combinations that he's formed uh, with, with a number of wingers throughout this year. I think we spoke about it last week. Uh, that'll definitely serve him in good stead for this weekend's game. Uh, playing at fullback.
0: Yeah, it should be a good one. Lots of points, but I think a Warriors win just to just to cap off their season and obviously it'll be a good way to farewell Todd Payton as well who we know has gone to the Cowboys. And look, our, the last game on the on the, on the Sunday and of the regular season, Tom, is the Dragons and the Storm. The Dragons probably were probably think to, thinking to themselves, right, we've dropped Corey Norman, we've got Jaden Sullivan and Eddie Blacker making their debuts. That's going to be the big story out of the lead-up to this game. And guess what? The Storm are playing their third or fourth-string side. <laughs> if, I mean, outside of Pappenhausen and, and Brandon Smith, I mean, the rest of the side are guys that... Oh, and Christian Welch. The other guys are probably ones that you wouldn't see in, in, in the first grade side too often.
1: Yeah, it's a very unusual lineup for the storm there you know virtually unrecognizable and uh, what a great opportunity for a guy like Jaden Sullivan and as you said Eddie Blacker as well to, to stand up and you know doesn't get much better than getting a win over Melbourne in your first game you know, no matter who's lining up for the storm side and a great opportunity as well for Melbourne this week to really give a couple of guys some some match experience and some you know get some game fitness up. Before the finals, with obviously with no reserve grade this year, there's a lot of guys who will be, you know, really struggling. You know, imagine if in the second week of the finals, you know, someone like Justin Olin goes down, what's going to happen? You know, you've got Ricky Latelli and Paul Momorowski sitting there who have played only a handful of games, you know, scattered throughout this year. Uh, Momorowski coming back from a hand injury, so you know, it's great to be able to call on that, you know, uh, some fitness and some experience, such uh, such a late point in the season that they can really draw on. Uh, moving forward, because I think depth's going to be a big uh, determining factor in who wins the comp this year.
0: Oh, definitely. I mean, it always is. Everyone you're, everyone always says you know, how important depth is. And look, obviously, you know, we know the Storm are playing you know, a largely unrecognisable side, but I guess with all that said, Tom, is we've seen pretty much all these players have come into the Storm side, and when they've come in, they've done their job, they've helped the side win, obviously, even in some games, probably been you know, top three, four, five best players on the park. So you know that no matter who the Storm pick, Craig Bellamy has certain expectations of a side to lift and perform.
1: Yeah, 100%. And again, you know, speaking about looking forward to the future, we've got Brandon Smith at nine this weekend, with so much uncertainty around uh, Cameron's career. You know, this could be a a glimpse into Melbourne's future for next year if uh, they choose to play him or, you know, perhaps Harry Grant as well.
0: Yeah, look, certainly plenty of good football to look out for. May or may not see some upsets, but certainly there's plenty, plenty of exciting action to go on. And you know, the game the game that will decide who gets the spoon. Obviously, you know, the the final jostle for positions in the eight. So we should be in for a good week of football in round round twenty. Tom.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. Really looking forward
0: to it. Well, obviously, as always, we you know recap some of the news that has. I guess, happened over the course of each week. And once again, Rugby League never disappoints. I guess the first thing I want to start off with, Tom, is we know that Bryce Cartwright was released from the Titans. I guess maybe not not too much of a surprise given, you know, probably, I guess, didn't fit in and just couldn't adapt to sort of the style that's there. And obviously under, a I guess, a disciplinarian like Holbrook, who, you know, is good at man managing and pretty much knows how he wants to play. Who, the, who he wants in his team, as we've seen with the, the buys that they've gotten. Cartwright did come out and say last night on Channel 9 when being interviewed by Danny Weidler, still has the, the desire to perform, obviously. He knows that he hasn't been at his best. We we all know, I guess, where he stands with the whole he didn't get the vaccination at the start of the year and that put a litany of people offside and immediately he got death threats and his family did, and which is you know wrong in every way. Is there any side that you can see him fitting into, or do you think despite his desire, I guess it's, we may never see the Bryce Cartwright we saw at Penrith ever again?
1: Yeah, I don't think we'll ever see that Bryce Cartwright again, but it'd be interesting to see uh, what sort of copy would fit into, you know. Obviously, defence is the concern, and he probably fits into a similar mould to a guy like Joey Lua, who we know can bring so much in attack, you know. Cartwright's obviously not the damaging ball runner that Lua is, but... You know, as as a ball player, he's, he's such a a skillful uh, second rower. We've seen that. You know, his skills are so valued in the game from forwards at the moment, from guys like Cam Murray, Angus Crichton, Victor Radley. But yeah, it's just going to be that defence, and you know whether any coaches want to take the risk, pick him up, and you know maybe train him up in that defence, because if, if he could get that right, he could definitely uh, play a role in some team moving forward, even if it was in like a a fourteen
0: role off the bench. Yeah, exactly. Look, I mean, I think you know we all know what he did at Penrith, and when he came in, and. He was just such a destructive ball runner, could pretty much offload at will, and just made everything look easy. Essentially, just you know, because he was such a gifted, gifted player, and I guess obviously circumstances led to his departure from Penrith, and just hasn't worked out. But I guess it, you look at a few sides that probably do have a need for back rowers. I guess you look at you look at sides like Manly, who obviously you know they're going to lose Corey Waddell. Or oh, they've lost Corey with Delta the Dogs. Joel Thompson's going to England. So I guess there are some teams that you could look at and think, right, they could use a guy. And I mean, who knows? Bryce Cartwright could end up at Melbourne and Craig Bellamy will turn him into a superstar. I guess <laughs> you, just ne- you just never know.
1: Yeah, obviously. A lot would have to happen uh, for, um, you know, for, for that to occur. But we've seen some strange uh, occurrences in rugby league over the last decade or so. So, you know, nothing would take me by surprise.
0: Yeah, look, it's certainly... Hopefully Cartwright finds a spot, and I guess, you know, we go from there and see how he gets used by a team. And I guess, look, talking, I guess, on you know, on the flip side, Tom, obviously, Adam Fanua Blake, he's had his release confirmed by Manly. He's signed with the Warriors. You look at this Warriors pack for 2021, Tom. Fanua Blake, uh, you know, Ben Murdoch-Masilla, Tohu Harris, Eliezer Katoa, Jack Murky, Jazz Tavanga potentially Jack Hetherington. I mean, not to mention other other young guys that have you know, shown glimpses. I mean, what a forward pack they're going to have in 2021.
1: Yeah, absolutely. They're really building nicely into next season, obviously, uh, with Nathan Brown coming across. And it'll be really interesting to see how Finoa Blake fits in over there at the Warriors. And um, as you said, you know, he's been such a big loss for Manly uh, this year. And you know, he is such a presence for, for any side, whether it be you know, the international sides he's played for or also um, at, at club level. And, i think alongside a guy like you and aiken who's going across to the warriors as well you know uh, they've got some nice buyers I- to mix in with uh, a great club culture that was built under really trying circumstances
0: this year and that's always a good recipe for success in the nrl oh exactly right look i mean the warriors are certainly building a handy side as well so i guess it remains to be seen how they can perform as a whole next year and you know certainly they've got plenty of momentum to build off on this year and i guess the question will be whether the warriors are going to play out of New Zealand next year, or if COVID is obviously still around, they may have to base themselves out of the Central Coast again. But, you know, I guess time will tell with that one.
1: Yeah, it'll be an interesting one. And fingers crossed they can get back to New Zealand because, you know, I think their game owes it to them to, uh, you know, have some home games over there next year, if, if possible. And, you know, that'll be a great boost for Rugby League in New Zealand, which, you know, it was great to see, you know, the whole country really get behind the Warriors as they push towards the finals. And unfortunately... Uh, they fell just short this year, but, you know, next year is fresh chance and, um, you know, hopefully for Warriors fans, they can uh, be up there and around again next year.
0: Absolutely. I mean, the Warriors certainly need some luck when it comes to rugby league, given, you know, we we know what transpired this year, but they're building nicely and, you know, pick Nathan Brown as their man to lead them forward. So it looks like there could be some good things on the horizon for the Warriors. Well, look, I guess one maybe, that's I mean, not, not a surprise, but I think... Young Tony Mapia, Tom obviously he came back from his Mormon mission in Germany, signed you know midseason with the Titans. Probably initially wasn't going to play too much, but now he's slotted into the side either as center or wing. He's rejected some of the Titans' offers. I think the latest one was two years. He's looked pretty good for his return, obviously. We know he played at Melbourne when the likes of you know Mahe Fanua and Real Chambers were still around as well. And you know, I guess he's probably never been a superstar, but He's good enough to be at an NRL level. Do you see him fitting in anywhere, Tom, seeing as he has rejected the the Titans offer?
1: Yeah, not really sure whether he'll, he'll find another club. But yeah, I think, you know, so, someone will snap him up, but whether he gets a, a starting role, I'm not too sure. I think that, you know, he might find himself in a similar role to what he played for, you know, a number of years there in Melbourne. And just, you know, maybe as a, a bench role, he's got, you know, so much experience coming through that Melbourne system, which is, you know, invaluable to a number of the teams who are, are currently building. And he's also got... Uh, a little bit of international experience over there in the UK as well. So uh, it'd be interesting, uh, obviously the Titans are finding themselves in an interesting spot. I saw that video coming out today of uh, Greg Lilliasalo or uh, third leg Greg or Greg Marzu, as he's now known, uh, bench pressing 190 kilos. So you know, he'll be pushing for a spot next year as well. And they've got plenty of backline depth. Uh, we spoke earlier about Corey Thompson missing out this week. So uh, it'd be interesting to see how Justin Holbrook sort of uh, manoeuvres that backline moving forward because uh, they've got plenty of options, which is always
0: a great sign. Yeah, as know, said it earlier, and you know, it's always true. Depth is always a good thing. And I guess moving from Tom Ape- Tom Apea's rejection of the Titans deal, we move on to Tim Glasby. Tom obviously this week he announced his forced retirement from the game due to ongoing concussion symptoms. And I think you look you look at a case like Glasby's and you see just how just how seriously concussion needs to be treated in this game. Obviously, Adam O'Brien made the point where, you know, I mean, even Tim Glasby did as well. Where, you know, some days you think you're right, but you still have concussion symptoms lingering, you know, days, weeks, months later, to the point where you can't even sit with the kids in front of the TV because it hurts your head to do so. So I guess obviously, from from Glasby's perspective, it's 100% the right move. He, he's a financial planner by trade, so obviously he has something to. To slot straight into but i guess it's it's good that he's had the the care and the treatment needed to be able to come to the decision that is ultimately right for him and his and his his future
1: yeah absolutely it's um you know on on one hand uh, as you said it's you know a, a terrific decision because i think i, I was again listening to triple m on the weekend they said that yeah, you know, while all these players are so brave in trying to set up a life for their family, it all means nothing if they can't remember who their families are in ten years' time. And I think I really, you know, put it really bluntly, and you know, I think it's also quite accurate that you know the whole mindset around concussion is starting to change, and it's great to see clubs like Newcastle, and we've seen with the Roosters around the boy quarter situation, uh, take concussion really seriously and treat it as you know as they would for any other um, serious injury. And, Obviously, you know the damage is you know, unseen and won't be known until well into the future. But fingers crossed for Tim Glasby that this decision, you know, um, you know really saves him from any permanent damage uh, moving forward. And uh, as you said, you know, great to see that he's he got, you know, got another role as a financial planner. And uh, fingers crossed he can um, really make a career for himself in, in that industry.
0: Yeah, exactly. Look, I mean, obviously, Glasby, you know, won a premiership with the Storm in 2017, and I guess was a good was a good foil for the for the knights at lock for a, you know, for a couple of years. But yeah, I mean, I guess when it gets to the point that it hurts to watch T V because you have headaches, you know, you know that's probably the time to give it away. And obviously that's what Glasby has done with his family and future in mind. And I think I think in many ways, knowing what we know about concussion, Tom, that's probably a probably Glasby's decision may well be the start of a new trend, if that's the right word to use in terms of the decisions that players make, particularly those that are quite susceptible to concussion and prolonged concussion symptoms.
1: Yeah, we've seen with a couple of players in the past. We've seen William Fulton at the Tigers and uh, Jared McManus. I James McManus up there in Newcastle, uh, both retire fairly early and when they are on decent money um, due to concussion. And uh, I think it's definitely going to be something we're only going to hear more of as we move into the future.
0: Yeah, right, exactly right. And look, we go from you know Glasby retiring, and we go to. A lot of talk about Tuvasa Shek of late time. Obviously, there were some talks, I guess, in the past. He said that, you know, it'd be he can see himself representing the All Blacks, and you know, the media like to spin it the minute you say that, it's all he wants out of the Warriors. His manager obviously came out and said that he's happy to state the Warriors. We know that Tuvasa Shek himself is happy to state the Warriors, and I think the most interesting comment to come out of all of it is, I guess, just to show how committed. To is to the Warriors. He said, if for some reason they can't play in New Zealand in 2021, he'll move here and his young family to Australia so that they don't need to spend, you know, six months apart again, you know, owing to a pandemic. So I think it tells you a lot about a lot about RTS and sort of where his mindset is at in terms of, no, you know, we're building nicely here at the Warriors and I want to be a part of that. Yeah, absolutely. We just spoke about Adam Fenua Blake and Ewan Aitken coming across and the culture they're trying to build and
1: RTS is you know, front and centre in, in building that. And I think that if the Warriors are to see uh, some success in you know, the near-to-medium-term future, I think that he has to be a part of it. And it would be, you know, a terrible blow, not just to the Warriors organisation, but also New Zealand Rugby League and, uh, you know, the NRL in general, if we were to lose, you know, such a talented guy who's been, you know, a real pin-up player of the league for a number of years
0: now. Oh, I mean, you know, top three or 4 fullbacks in the game and it's easy to see why when he does it consistently for the Warriors in New Zealand, so... Certainly good to hear him say pretty, I guess, with confidence that, look, the Warriors are my team and I'm going to go to these lengths to play for them if need be. So it's only a boost for the Warriors based on, as you said, Tom, the culture that they're building and the plays they've got coming in and they can certainly do some very good things in 2021. Yeah, agreed. Well, look, I guess well, there's there's been a bit of uh, NRL women's news coming up as well, obviously, that is about to start during the final series of uh, – later on in the final series with the, the same four teams as last year. Obviously, I guess people were probably hoping it was going to expand and it may well have had that not been a you know the the current COVID pandemic. But I guess again, more so from the Warriors perspective, Tom obviously we know that last year the Warriors had a side that was pretty much and entirely full of a New Zealand quota of players. You fast forward to this year they've only got six, obviously a lot of their key players you know, because of COVID and family reasons or pregnancies, they're not playing. But I think it's great to see players like Elia Green and Lee. Ivania Pilite who, and similarly Charlotte Kazlik for the Roosters as well. It's great to see these Rugby Sevens players being able to come in and I guess not only play for their own ma- you know, fitness and match fitness as well, but I guess just to boost the profile of the NRLW competition, given how successful the Rugby Sevens side has been for the women.
1: Yeah, definitely. And obviously, the, you know, the Rugby Sevens team has such a high profile in Australia, especially after uh, they won gold at Rio in 2016. And it's going to be great for the league. I was a little bit skeptical at first in thinking that perhaps they're taking spots away from, you know, uh, younger girls who have come through our systems and are really ready for their shot at the league. But then after hearing some of the perspectives of um, a number of the NRLW players who've come out uh, in support of this move this week, you know, you, you can only. Um, support this movement's gonna be you know great for the brand of footy they produce uh they're gonna bring a wealth of experience coming from you know really professional organizations they're going to you know bring a new style of play to the league which will be really exciting to see and you know they're all such big skillful girls who can really um you know turn the tide of a game in seven so it'd be great to see what they can um what they can do in our league
0: yeah look exactly right it's obviously a a format that suits them perfectly, given they do play sevens. So they, I mean, obviously, it's nines and sevens are different, but you know they're used to the the I guess the freedom and the space that does exist with fewer players on the ground. And I mean, you only have to watch some of the some of the tries that Elliot Green has scored playing rugby sevens to you know to to expect that. I guess it would, sorry, let me that again. It would be would be a shock to see him not score similar tries even in the NRLW just because of how how incredibly potent she is with the ball in hand.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, she's regarded as one of the best players on the seventh circuit for any nation. And just her, you know, her power and speed, you know, we see what a you know dangerous combination that is in the NRL with, with a guy like Mike Acebo. So uh, it'd be great to see if she can produce something similar in the NRLW, and it's going to be, um, yeah, really exciting to watch moving forward.
0: Yeah, it should be a good competition when it starts. And look, to end things here, we're going to go back to the future. Uh Obviously, we know that Huawei isn't going to be the Raiders' major sponsor beyond this season, and there's some talk that they might go back to Canberra Milk. Tom, obviously, this is a sponsor that was on the jersey during, you know, the, the Raiders' heydays when we had Ricky Stewart, Mal Meninga, you know, uh, Brett Mullins, um, Gary Belcher, Bradley Clyde. So, I guess it's uh, interesting to see that, you know, obviously the jersey design will be different given the. The technology and the different designs that exist, but I guess it'd be good to see such a local iconic sponsor linking up with the Raiders again. Should have happen?
1: Yeah, definitely. Obviously, the Canberra Milk era was a little bit before my time, but uh, it'd be you know it'd be cool to see a bit, a bit of a retro throwback there. And I know um, social media sort of lit up earlier in the week as um, you know, Canberra Milk social media team sort of had a bit of banter with the Raiders, and uh, I think they're currently one of the secondary, uh, maybe one of the sleeve sponsors for the club. So. Uh, they've always been involved and in, in and around. So, yeah, it wouldn't be surprising to see them step up and um, take over as the major sponsor next year.
0: Yeah, it would certainly make for a very good heritage journey, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Right, well, that'll wrap it up for another week of Take the Two, obviously, finals. Finals are going to start next week, so plenty of there'll be plenty of action to dissect and talk about and preview. And, you know, we'll catch you next week, Tom, and let's hope we have a good round of footy in round 20.
1: Yeah, fingers crossed everyone so I can uh, finish the year off strong and we all get to see a couple of uh, new faces that we might be able to keep some tabs on next year.